Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the La Rouge Rugby Podcast where we focus on real Canadian rugby. I'm joined as always by Derek Brissett. Derek, uh, it's been a bit of a rough weekend I would say. Uh, you know we talked about it in the last episode of Canada going up against the world number ones England in the uh, semi-finals of the uh, Women's World Cup and you know it was a Definitely a good game. Both games of the semi-final actually were both games were amazing. incredible. To watch. They were amazing, yeah, absolutely amazing to watch. But unfortunately, there's got to be a winner and there's got to be a loser. And when you're going up against a team that had up until that point gone 29 games unbeaten, you want to talk about momentum being with a team. It's definitely them. But you know, uh, it was a result that I. I can definitely say that Canada should be proud of. You know, mm-hmm. they of the four teams that were in the semi-final, they're the only team that isn't currently under professional structure, and they were able to push England to within seven points. But yeah. unfortunately, they came out the wrong end. Yeah, and uh, you know, at the after the game, stuff, Sophie de Goody obviously had her comments about. You know, the whole, uh, oh, man, I'm paraphrasing what she said, but it was like the imagine what we can do with like more resources and more time, more games, more resources. Um, right. So that's obviously something that people are talking about after this game. Um, but yeah, both the semifinals in this one, phenomenal rugby games. Absolutely, um, like, yeah. you know, comparison to like, like the Autumn Nations Cup happening at the same time. And this, like, these were the two best games of the weekend, like easily. Yeah. Um, and it might be like two of the best games ever, like any world, like World Cup period too. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you kind of said, like, I don't know, like, I think to me, it's like this whole tournament, it kind of like, I mean, it just kind of felt destined to be an England, New Zealand final. Yeah. And like at Canada and France put like, like played great games in both of these. And like you kind of look at like Canada, as you just said, Canada loses by seven. The difference in that game is arguably the greatest try ever scored um, from <laughs> Dow. And then you look at the the difference um, in the Fran- New Zealand France game is Druin missing a kick at the death, yeah. a very makeable kick too, um, right? And uh, like so. Yeah, it was just it was a wild, wild games. Um, I got like, I mean, we'll get into the analysis. Like, I think you know, like watching Peltier toss that like ball like over three or whatever new Eng- uh, three like English defenders to Corrigan for that try that tied the game. Probably yeah. the most fun I think I have ever had watching a Canadian national team. Yeah, like, just in that moment, like that was. Yeah, that was incredible. It was amazing. Um, uh, like you said, like I mean, you obviously like at the end of the game, kind of hope you want Canada to win and stuff. But yeah, like you said, like you can't, uh, like it's obviously a team that uh, Canadian rugby fans can be incredibly proud of. Right now, they put in an unreal mm-hmm. effort, and um, yeah, this the, I, it was like it's an inst- it's one of those it's like that game was like it's an instant classic. There's probably two like try of the tournaments in it. And uh, I mean, we can get into it. I guess it's going to be the bulk of our episode getting into this one. Um, it's uh, probably one of the best best uh, games of all time. Certainly one of the best women's games of all time. So, um, like, yeah, it's uh, unfortunate that uh, the scoreboard wasn't a little bit more favorable at the end of it. But um, yeah, just uh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's kind of like mixed feelings about it because these there were two just simply 
phenomenal games that we got to witness. You know, it's showing you how far things have come in women's rugby over the past, um, well, I was going to say four years, but obviously uh, five years because this World Cup's been taking place in a year after it was meant to. Demonstrable proof of how professionalism has impacted um, the sport and how has allowed these teams to, you know, be able to put on such great matches. Um, but we need to get into it, uh, the game, you know. So England obviously coming in, uh, fa- well, they're favourites to win the tournament. Yeah. And so they're obviously favourites to beat uh, Canada and uh, the favourites for the semi final as well. Uh, you know, it didn't really start um, well in uh, Canada's favour. Uh, you know, the first try coming from Packer um, uh, within like the first 10 minutes and then Abby Dow getting the second try of the game and for England in the 15th minute with um, Emily Scarrett's getting only one conversion to make it 12-0 for even at the uh, 20-minute mark. But then four minutes later, we have a fantastic um also play coming on when Justine Pelletier was able to break free from the scrum, um, shoot ahead, and then seemed to be kind of like a repeat of last week in which uh, the ball gets kicked uh, further down the field and Karen Paquin is able to beat the defenders and get her hands on the ball first. And that is Canada's first try of the game. So, you know, back in it with uh, at the 20-minute mark, and then able to hold it off until, as you're mentioning, the uh, long pass out to Corrigan, who's able to then get the second try. Uh, De Goody able to get that conversion after missing Paquin's um, conversion. So we're now 12 all. And then just before halftime, uh, Kanda concede a penalty, which uh, Scarrett is able to then kick over to make it only three points in it. So 15 12. Then as we get into the second half, uh, another penalty, again, in front of the post that allows Scarra to extend the lead. And then, soon enough, we get on to Dow's second try, which, um, you know, it's. I think it's probably the clearest example of the difference between a professional side and a semi-pro at best side. To take that ball, um, force a turnover with Canada in England's 22, get it out wide, and then able to streak from one end of the field to the other to score the try. And it it was kind of at that point, the game was firmly in England's hands um, going on. But uh, only only one reprieve was that the the conversion wasn't able to be scored. Then we had Cornborough getting uh, yellow carded for England. So England down to 14 players. But, you know, still... Again, fully pro side, they've been able to handle the pressure from Canada. And in those 10 minutes that Cornborough was off the field, Canada were unable to get a single point. So, you know, obviously things weren't working well. And then finally, when uh, the bench starts to get on the field, uh, Bukaboom set up a great try that she also finished as well. And this brought Canada back within four points. But then three minutes later, Another penalty is conceded. Uh, Scarrett's able to kick over, so a seven-point difference. Uh, Canada go again, getting into England's half, keep pushing, but uh, 
get counter rocket then they have a was it a line out just within the uh, uh not Canada, England's um 22 and that's uh thrown and it's not straight and then the ball immediately goes over to England who were able to basically retain possession and then kick the ball out at the end the final score England 26 Canada 19 and yeah all all the players just left it all out on the yeah. field they, when, when that final whistle blew even the England players like had to monster the energy to celebrate it because Canada had drained them so much and Canada Canadian players were you know bunched over obviously upset at the loss but no, there's really nothing more that you could say that Canada could have done to do that with the resources they already have. Like Kevin Rouet, you, you so you mentioned about um, Sophie de Goody in her interview after the game, but Kevin Rouet was also explaining it as well that you know these players have you know left full time work, they've left uh, studies, they've um, had to. Uh, basically source their own income through like GoFundMe's and stuff to be able to train. And, you know, obviously every player is incredibly passionate about representing Canada, playing for Canada in the World Cup, but that can only do so much. And, you know, and I know there's people at Rugby Canada that listen to this podcast and watch what we do and when we talk about things like this. The ideal opportunity to fund um, the women's players was uh, three years ago, same time as England. The next best opportunity is now, because we've got three years until the 2025 World Cup, in which we've seen basically all the teams of the women's Six Nations are now starting to professionalize their teams. We've got the Pacific Fours Championship with, uh, well, New Zealand already going down the way of professionalism. Uh, I'm pretty sure Australia is going to follow as well. The USA should as well. We've also got the WXV coming up. And there's going to be a huge disparity between the teams that do go the route of professionalism and those that don't. So I know it's uh, probably going to have to require a lot of investment and a lot of... uh, research into which sponsors you can get but clearly it needs to be done because if players are able to do what canada has done so far and go up against the best team in the world that has been professional longer than any other team in women's international rugby and only fall by seven points seven points on the greatest try arguably ever scored yeah but this, if if you had, um, if Canada was professional, that try wouldn't have been scored. Ah, I mean, that's a that's a big what if though. Like that was uh, a it, great try. It that is a big a what if, try. but it's also one of the things of like when you are like what what such a close margin when you are in a converted try. Okay, so of tying the game absolutely. You know, but like I I get your point overall. But what happens differently on on that play if Canada's paid more and plays more? Yeah. Like, what well, happens differently on that play? So in the same way that England players have been in professional environments, they've been able to, you know, focus on recovery, focus on training. You know, Canadian players are just, uh, you know, they can run a little bit faster. 
under pressure. They're able to uh, utilize tackles a lot better. It's I'm I'm saying this as though it's like oh it's so obvious. Um, the the reality is is that all the little things that you don't really notice until they actually happen become slightly better. So if you spend and it's just like simple things. If you're spending more time focusing on uh, sprints, for example then you know your top speed increases your acceleration increases you're able to get closer to other players that are a lot faster uh quicker and it's these little like gaps and margin like these any of the missed tackles um under a professional environment suddenly don't become missed tackles because you spent more time training on how to tackle and how to improve like grip strength something as simple as that and then you can like hold onto a player's jersey a lot tighter. You can hold onto their. Got to be able to touch the player first. <laughs> that is true, but um, <laughs> that's it's all the that, things that, that was actually up. the thing. It's like when we went back to a couple of weeks ago and we we're arguing what is a missed tackle. Yeah, stuff, it's like there's is there a missed tackle on that play? Probably than... not. But but the thing as well is that to get um, Dow's second try, yeah. um, England forced a turnover, mm-hmm. and if you've been in an environment in which you're learning how to avoid that, that ball doesn't get turned over. I'm not saying it's then not uh, England don't then force a penalty or anything like that and then get the ball and then, you know, Dow scores a try that way. But it's, like I, I said, it's those little things. It's basically the tightening of a screw. Everything just gets a little more refined. Everything, it just allows you to go that little bit further, uh, run that little bit faster, hit that ruck a little bit earlier. All I mean, these things. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just giving you a bit of a hard time. I don't think the yeah, no, no, it's, the it's, funding. It's I don't like. I don't know how much funding would directly impact if a try got scored or not. But like, I think the point, at least, would to me, it seems like the point that I think you're trying to make, um, or at least how I'm interpreting it, is like, um, Canada's close to being the best team in the world, yeah. um, right? And it's like they kind of showed that in in this game. They showed that throughout the tournament, um. And I think, like like you said, it's like they put in an absolutely unreal performance against the team that is clearly the best team in the world. Um, yeah. If they end up winning this World Cup, it's going to be 31 straight test matches, yeah. um, like an unprecedented record. And that's like the, the England is insanely good, right? Yes. Part of that is, as you kind of said, they got obviously uh, they have a pro league over there. They have more of a pro setup and stuff. And uh, yeah, the rest of the world is a little bit behind on that, but it does seem like they said like for for Canada, um, the USA, um, you know, Australia, France, any of those other countries, it's like this kind of feels like, you know, one of those things where it's like if all these countries kind of dive into professionalizing women's rugby more, more funding, more resources and stuff, um, this could get like insanely competitive and be like mm-hmm. un- unreal, like international competition at yeah. the top. Um, I mean, I tweeted after the game that I'm just going to call it now that Canada's going to win the 2025 World Cup. Um, but in order for that to happen, like as Sophie de Goody kind of mentioned, right, it's like you're probably going to need a little bit more resources and stuff to do it. It would be nice as like, obviously, there's a lot of there's a handful of Canadian players that play in um, the English League as well. Um, so it'd be nice to see a few more head over there. Um, right. As well as, you know, hopefully, you know, being able to get the the national team together a little bit more frequently would be good as well. Um, and, you know, just to be able to give everybody more. It's the kind of the exact same thing we've been talking about, like the men's team and everything with MLR, right? It's just 
get everybody more game time and, uh, you know, allow pay enough that you don't necessarily need another job in saying that I know, obviously a lot of MLR players have other, other things that they do too. Um, but like have that the very least be able to like, if you're in camp, you can focus on rugby and you don't have to worry about, you know, whatever else you're doing. Um, I think that would be, I think that would be great because they showed that they're close. And I mean, like, like, and it's everything like this game was, um, just like amazing, like all around. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because obviously, like, you got England gets out to that 12 nothing lead. Um, a couple like, um, Dow's first try too was, uh, you know, I mean, he had Packers first try, good work from the English forwards, right? Uh, you know, just kind of breaking down the Canadian defense there. Um, Dow's first try was an unreal counterattack from Roland. Um, and then, you know, pass off to Dow again, who just has unreal speed, as you kind of mentioned there, Stu. Um, and like, for Canada to be able to kind of look at that. And then, you know, the Karen Paquin try um, was like just that set piece from like whatever, 35, 40 meters out from their own try line. Um, Peltier's ability to just kind of spot that gap, shoot through it. Um, and that kick under pressure from the, um, the English backs there, like that kick under pressure was just could not have been better. Like yeah. it, it, you, it couldn't possibly have gotten been a better kick than that. It was perfect. Um, ball sits up, um, just over the line. Paquin, um, kind of like very similar, very similar to that uh, try she scored uh, last week with the Allery um kick, uh, kick through. Um, so like that was just it was perfect, right? And you know that obviously sparked a lot of life into the the Canadian team. And I could you said it's like that moment too where it's um. You know, off the line out with the forwards kind of driving, driving at the English line, and then like Peltier kind of breaking away from from the ruck. Um, so De Goody actually passes it to Peltier in like a it's kind of like a 10 first receiver kind of spot. Um, and then Pe- that pass from Peltier that just she airmails it over everybody to Corrigan. Um, was like, yeah, that was one of one of that's probably going to be like that's one of like the best moments in Canadian rugby um for like the past you know like five ten years right now um you know like that's it was like just a phenomenal play and it was like it's funny because it was like watching this game like I I generally like take notes on on games as I'm watching them and um I looked back at like was looking back at the notes like after the the game just for um like what like what happened and i kind of like use it as like reference when we're recording this my note for this was i forgot to write anything and <laughs> i literally wrote after i wrote after i was like during halftime i was like i was too hyped corgan scored and then like that's yeah. my note for the try because i didn't <laughs> i was like too excited cheering or whatever um throwing out like tweets and stuff and i mean i think most of my tweets for that try were just like canadian flags and predator gifts so i mean it's um, like that's what it was. And I, I mean, um, is, is it, it was like one of those things I feel like it, it feel, it was like going into the, like the game. It's like, as you said, England's a huge favorite mm-hmm. and it's like, you're, everyone's obviously cheering for Canada, but like that, that try to me, like, it felt like, um, like, you know, like the third round of like a Rocky movie, 
where it's like Uh, Rocky's just been getting beaten up for two rounds. And then in the third round, they finally have Rocky like land something and like Drago gets cut or like Clubber Lang kind of like stumbles or whatever. And then you actually and then like you get like the the realizing Rocky realizing that he could actually win this. And then they go through like the the montage for the next 10 rounds or whatever. And it's like that kind of felt like that moment of just like the the collective like oh my god like canada can actually can is can win this game and it made the second half so much better too and it was you know it also is like um there's so many like just great moments and all from this game like whether it's just like you know players making really nice runs nice tackles um like it was just it was so close everything too and like you said i mean like that like you know, when you get into the game and like Canada's pressing at like that 50th minute where like what was it before that second Dow try, like 20 phases or something? Yeah, like, it's wild. Yeah, some, yeah definitely. And it uh, was like just the, the ball retention was perfect. Um, and, you know, w- like watching Canada just slowly like grind all the way down into England's end. Um, and, ev- and it was just like watching Mc you know, watching the turnover, you're like, oh, dang, like, um, that's a bad spot to turn the ball over, right? Or unfortunate. And then you see McDonald basically take off from her own in-goal area. And, um, you know, if there's a step on the first defender, there's the step on Tessier, where she, the two, there's the one where the step where the two Canadian defenders collide, right? And then a pass to Dow, and it's like a track meet at that point and uh like it's it's one like we said it's one of the best tries ever and like unfortunately like ultimately the difference of the game but we also still didn't realize that would be the difference of the game yet because there was time and then you had like the buka boom had the huge break um in which you know she ultimately finished after some other great plays from the forwards um but yeah, uh, just like overhaul it was just like every player in the game like I, you can't even really like complain about like any player in the game, like what they did and stuff. I mean, you got like, there's a couple moments in things like looking at it and it's like, yeah, like, you know, the yellow card is probably a moment. I'm sure everybody that this team would like back a little bit where it's like the mall's working well, England can't bring it down or England can't really stop it. So they're bringing it down. Ref finally pulls out the yellow and then the next line out's not straight. Yeah. Um, which that that one kind of hurt. Um, you know, what I mean, like that one kind of hurt. And then obviously, like even like that, the play before Dow's try, it's like that's a lot of phases um to turn the ball over on the goal line and have that immediately go back um for a try, right? Uh yeah. you know what I mean? Like that's a that's a big five, that's a big uh like that's a big point swing there um instantly as well. So it's like you know, you kind of look at it and it's like, yeah, that like that yellow card too after that missed line out that the Canada didn't capitalize on it. No points during that yellow card, um, which, you know, is something that you got to do. And I mean, um, like, you know, you get like the reality too, a little bit of like, you know, England's defense in this game was great yeah. um, toward the end. I know, uh, I know some folks certainly ha- had some issues maybe with the way the, the rucks were uh, being uh, called and like how the uh, breakdown in general is being officiated. Um, 
but as like you know there's there's probably a couple where like England you know maybe they're lying on top of the ball a little too much or a hand stayed in the ruck a little too long or something like that um but you know I don't know it's at the end of the day I guess like from an English point of view if the ref's not calling it you're gonna keep doing it right so yeah um it's which is you know that's that's rugby I guess sometimes right um and you know so like England England did well to kind of play to how the the ref was was calling that game right so um and they got a couple massive turnovers um turnovers that led directly to tries or turnovers that just um like there's there was a couple they had a couple like two or three three maybe like good goal line stands I mean one ended up in the try but there was at least two other ones there um where Canada just kind of pushed the ball over so it's like I think to circle back to I think what your point was is it's like you can look at this game and be like it's not only that like Canada could have like hung around with England in this game or kept it close or whatever it was like Canada had opportunities to score or like that possible you know to score a couple tries which could have been the difference in the other way but like you know England shut it down right like they're uh, yeah you have to give credit to the English defense at some point in this game. Yeah, they stopped yeah, a couple saying. like legit opportunities. And I mean, if one of those goes through, like, you know, I mean, if one of those goes through, then, you know, maybe this game, this game looks a little bit different, especially that one that ended up being Dow's second try, right? Like if that's a Canadian try instead, then, you know, that's all it would have taken. Right. If that's the other way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's a, you know, a game game of inches sometimes, and something I guess you know, a couple bounces didn't necessarily go, but, um, you know, it's yeah, it's just phenomenal. It was so much fun watching the game, man. Um, right, which is, you know, something that it's it's nice to like saying, I guess, about Canadian rugby in general right now is that it's it's this team has been really fun to watch over the course of the entire world cup. And I'm sure they're going to continue to be really fun to watch going into the next world or going into this bronze medal game. And hopefully, uh, you know, with a match against France who are obviously coming off their own heartbreaking loss um, in their own right. So um, that bronze medal game, what is it? 1030 on Friday night. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, like, I think that's going to be great. It's going to be on TSN again. And I think, like, one thing I, I, I do kind of, like, want to mention, too, like, it's, um, like, it, it's cool to kind of see, like, oh, as the course of this tournament has gone on, like, the team kind of slowly growing and getting a little bit of publicity and stuff. Yeah. Um, whether that's from the Canadian media or, like, international media. Um, everybody seemed to love that Squidge Rugby video, um, you know, kind of breaking down the team. Um, which was awesome. There's been some rugby pass stuff, some guardian stuff. Yeah. He's put putting up some stuff. The gist um, here is picking it up a lot. Um, so that's all really kind of cool to see. And I think like on Saturday, um, I was actually in a bar um, Saturday afternoon and they had um, a replay. TSN was showing like a replay of the mm-hmm. game. Um, right. And it was like, you know, it's it was on like a few of the TVs. There was obviously college football and some hockey on, but it was cool to see. Like, I don't think I've really ever seen rugby on TV in a like a Canadian bar, unless it was like, you know, going to like a place that was specifically holding like an event to show rugby games or whatever. Um, yeah. Or it was just kind of like this game was just kind of casually on. And I think the cool thing too 
with as the game was on is like you can kind of tell like people in the bar were like actually like watching it mm-hmm. um, or like paying attention to it and kind of reacting to it and stuff um which is honestly like really cool to see and i hope like it does kind of show like the importance of having some of these games on a channel like tsn that can just be like left on at a lot of bars and stuff and you know that goes for like the arrows on like you know tsn as well like just if the mlr games are going to be on tsn then like yeah like it's going to end up on like that's kind of the benefit of being on that national channel um so like but the other thing is though too is it's like i think ultimately you know we could talk about like how great this team is how great a lot of the players are and stuff and you know you're talking about like we got to get more like resources and funding and stuff and it's like i kind of hope that like we as like a rugby community can find a way to like capitalize on this team yeah right um both in the sense of like like just visibility for the sport and stuff and also like you know hopefully like commercially as well this is like as much as we're like saying that like we need to put more resources obviously into the women's team, which is a hundred percent true. It's yeah. like, we got to get the resources from somewhere too. Right. So yeah. more growth just in rugby and the program and stuff needs to happen. Um, yeah. And it's also, it's like, you know, also I think there's also needs to be that realization that it's not going to just instantly happen because the team has success. Yeah. Um, Because like, there's like, I, I've been kind of trying to think about this as well too and it's like if like thinking about how i react to like other sports like rugby's still a niche sport in this country right Mm -hmm. so it's like you got to find a way to like build on this team and continue to market and all that but you got to put a lot more into it than hoping that we just hoping that we win right because just winning is not necessarily enough right because it's like at the end of the day there's a lot of people that are going to be like see that canada let's you know let's be optimistic may win a bronze medal at the rugby yeah. world cup They'll, and people will see that it'll be on tsn it'll show up on like all these other sports feeds and stuff that'll at least give the shout out for them winning and it's like you gotta we, there has to be a way that we can turn like that little bit of nice exposure and stuff into actually growing the interest instead of people just kind of reacting like how you and i would probably react if we found out that canada just won the world cup of water polo which yeah. would pro- which would most likely just be like, oh, that's neat and move on with our lives. Yeah. Right? And it's like, so um, I would love to like, I think this is going to be kind of a big opportunity. And as Canadian rugby fans and stuff, it's like, we need to kind of like put that effort into like growing the game, but it's, you know, it's not all just going to be like, it's not all necessarily just going to be based on like the performance and stuff. It's like, yeah, we, but like this team is amazing and we should be able to like leverage, like there's no reason why like Sophie de Goody shouldn't be like a superstar athlete in Canada. Yeah. Right. Um, You know, and that's just like how, how that should be. Like we should hopefully be able to transition that. And cause like her story is amazing too. Right. Just like, just even simply the fact that it's like her mom and dad were both captains of um world cup teams as well like it's like yeah a little like the family dynasty element of that is a cool story right uh, yeah. um, so it's like you should be able to like market these players and stuff um and and turn this into like something special and i hope that team does um and i hope i just hope we're able to like kind of capitalize on it um and you know i and hopefully like you know things like this podcast and stuff can help because i like yeah. Um, it's a great sport. This team's amazing. Um, with that being said, the like this team's amazing. The uh, 
the women's uh, sevens, the men's sevens, the men's fifteens. It's like all these teams all deserve like they put all those athletes put so much work and stuff into it that it's like yeah. they all kind of deserve the recognition for it. It's nice to yeah, see the women's totally. team getting it right now. Um, and uh, you know, hopefully, you know, the other teams will um will also kind of be able to follow with that. But yes. But so yeah, but either way, ultimately, would love we got to get more resources in on this team because this this could be a huge opportunity yeah, for us. Absolutely, and as I mentioned last week, because Canada reached the semifinals, they have qualified automatically for Perfect. the next World Cup. So that's the next World Cup, England, England. Oh, cool. That's so, that's so fun. Yeah, so that that works out. I think better for, time zone. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's going to be a big help of getting recognition within Canada. Is that if the games aren't at, you know half 10 or one in the morning or things like that more people are gonna likely be able to watch it as well as that because they've qualified automatically they don't have to worry about um qualification through regional competitions as well to get their place which you know i'm not saying like the usa will be in that situation because and it's very complicated with this uh wxv allowing qualification for the World Cup as well, but it's not been defined. All that's been defined now is that the hosts who are currently in the final anyways, uh, this World Cup means that they've already automatically qualified. So it's, uh, but yeah, so the, for Canada, it means that instead of these um, games that are going to come up where you may have to, you know, play against... Uh, other t- other North American teams or South American teams to be able to qualify for the World Cup, which is what the men have been doing. You can turn your focus to attracting uh, potential new sponsors. Uh, anything, that, even if you have to just do like uh, sponsor a player, which I know that's a lot of um, which does happen even at both like club and international level, even for men's teams as well. So you have those um, options, those gateways to go through as well. And yeah, is it well? Is and it's not just us. It's like people across it is Squidge Rugby and uh, well, Squidge Rugby and his brother because his brother narrated the uh, <laughs> Canada video. So, uh, oh, um, Will, I think, uh, is yeah, his name. Will, so he's uh, he, he's yeah. the one who's been doing the heavy lifting. I can't believe Squidge didn't even uh, put Canada as a uh, potential champions. Absolute disgrace. And um, but in all seriousness, I know there's um. Yeah. There's people like Scrum Queens as well who have Scrum been Queens championing. Been fun to follow during this. Uh, exactly. Well, yeah, as in like, well, they've been championing women's rugby for yeah. far, far longer. And um, yeah, and you know, some of the ideas is like, I think what um, Rugby Canada should be doing, even in like the short term, is getting in contact with every team in the Premier 15s, uh, the W Series in Australia. Um, Elite Un in France um, and Super Rugby Aupuki in New Zealand. Be getting in contact with uh, those team managers and saying that, yeah, if you're looking for this position or if like, a new team is going to be joining, we've got some players for you. Just get them into a professional environment yeah. as soon as possible. Now, obviously, I know that I mean, like- we have like a fair bunch of the... Um, Canadian team have been playing in um, both uh, the Premier 15s and a few of the uh, uh, Quebec-based players are, have um, some experience in Eliton. So, yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility. But, I mean, for example, uh, Super Rugby 
Uh, Peaky only has four teams at the moment. If they want to add a couple more teams and maybe get a few yeah. Canadians in them, well, I, I think, mean, I'm not going to say no to that. But yeah, well, uh, I, mean, I think that's kind of the thing right now. It's like this tournament, in all honesty, has been so much fun. Um, yeah. We kind of talked about like, no matter like if you're just a rugby fan, um, like these, especially like these semifinal games were unreal. Um, they were so good. Um, you had obviously, um, we we just talked at length about the Canada game, right? Um, a yeah. couple like all time great tries in that uh, from Paquin and Dow. Um, and then obviously, you know, Canada, ha- you had like the cool storyline in the game, right? Canada was down 12 nothing. They came back to tie. And then like the, both teams kind of traded punches a little bit. And then ultimately England pulled away. But and then like you have the uh, the uh, France, New Zealand game, which was kind of the same thing, right? France got out to a big lead. New Zealand came back. Um, you know, they scored a try to give themselves a one point lead. Then they just kind of battled for the last 20 minutes and the game ended on a really dramatic kick. Um, mm-hmm. right. Phenomenal games. And it's like, I think right now what you're kind of seeing is, is like, why, I mean, we're talking about Canada, you know, like, right. And we were talking about how they need to like invest in this women's team and stuff, but it's like world rugby as a whole, like just go head first into women's rugby. Like, yeah. Dive in, like get, you know, get the resources, get some of like, those pro leagues and stuff off the ground um, because it's like, it's going to be needed, but it's also like, you know, it's one of those things too, where it's like rugby is like one of the very few, like full contact women's sports as well. Yeah. Right. And it's like, that's like an area that it's like for, for people that really want to, you know, play something like rugby, rugby is like one of the very few options, right? Like, especially like, even like, we'll uh, come back to Canada, like women's hockey has no body checking. Yeah, right. like it's like you know what I mean. Like so, it's you know, and obviously there's contact in women's hockey and stuff. But it's like, if to to any anybody that wants to play like a super physical game, it's like rugby is like your best option, right? So that's you know that that that's something that I think like you can kind of use and like market towards people that may be interested in playing that. Um, but yeah, also like you said, like grow the women's game a lot and stuff. And like, you yeah. know, like, you kind of look at like, like Alicia Corrigan played with the Saracens. Right. And then like, you know, earned her way onto this team and like, look what she did at this tournament. Right. Let's like, you can have like so many players, like just, I- I'm excited for like, and all honest, like this tournament more than anything. And like, I'll fully admit, like it's probably the first women's world cup that I've really paid attention to. Um, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Um, even going back to that 2014 one, um, but the quality, the quality of rugby in this game is phenomenal. In this tournament, it's been phenomenal. Um, like even like going from like whether those teams are like the top four teams that made the semifinals, or even just like pool stage games between teams that you know were fighting to not be like zero and three in the pool stage. The games have been incredible. Um, yeah. across like just across the board, some unreal tries, some unreal stories um, with the athletes themselves. Um, and you know, it, it'd be, it'd be great to like, I'm excited for like the future, like the future of the, of women's rugby right now. Cause it's like, it's been phenomenal. And, you know, as you said, it's like, you know, the, it's starting to kind of become, I guess, professionalized across the board. And, um, there's some really great leagues and stuff that hopefully a lot of these players can find themselves in going forward. Um, mm-hmm. and like just develop the sport because, uh, th- like this whole t- this tournament's been, uh, we're not done, the tournament's not over. There's still like yeah. there's another game where we have another Canada game. Um, you know, yeah. we get to see them go out on a high note, and then obviously, like England, New Zealand in New Zealand, like, yeah, damn, that's gonna be so good. 
Yeah, you say that, but I, I have a feeling that if you're a fan of like women's rugby and been following like the history of the World Cup, this will now be the fifth iteration of New Zealand and England um, contesting the final. That's fun. and so good. It's gonna and, be, and, this, this is your, and every every, si- every single time that uh, fixture has come about, New Zealand have won it. Ooh. So and that. New Zealand and, at home is an X factor on its own too, though. Well, well, that's the thing. You say, "Oh, New Zealand at home would be an X. well." England at home would be an X factor, but in 2010, when it was held in England, New Zealand uh, won 13-10. But uh, and saying that, a bit of uh, foreboding is that France and Canada have faced off in the bronze medal game twice before, and have lost both times to France. However, the first time change. that'll change. Well, the first time was in. 2002, France won 41 7. Yeah. So that is a winning margin of 34 points. But uh, the next time they faced, which was in the next tournament in 2006 in Canada, France won only by nine points. So with a 17 8 victory. So by that transitive property, Canada should win uh, by a lot. So hopefully, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think, you know, are France able to push New Zealand? Um, you know, and if that uh, kick had gone slightly more to the right, then it would have been a uh, England France final. France would have made the final for the first time in their history. Uh, Man, so, I yeah. like, I, f- I just, that's one of those, I like, I just feel bad for Druin on that. Like, yeah, it's, it's uh... got to be. It's one of those things where it's like rugby is like the ultimate team sport, but it's like that is such like an individual element of this game. Yeah. Is that kick? And it's, ah, uh, like, yeah, that's just, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I felt bad as well. I know. I was like, I, they, like, they, the camera like panned to her after, and I'm like, oh, like, I, like, I, 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 like, you feel like you feel bad, like, watching, like, the France reaction after because it's like yes. oh man it's it's hard it's like it's heartbreaking <sighs> yeah it's like um like I said it's like the it's the ultimate team game but it's like you, that comes down to one person doing one thing yeah it's uh it's tough yeah. well well you know a chance of redemption for both teams uh this Friday when in when it will be Canada versus France for the bronze final and then I believe it's at uh 2:30 in the morning again you know what once the bronze final's been on don't worry about it doesn't matter anymore uh but apparently uh England and New Zealand will pay for the um uh Kathy Flores Cup as I'm calling it to uh become the has that been catching on at all have you seen literally anyone else use that term I I haven't seen anyone else call it anything anything else, so mm. I think um I think I'm making some headway. Uh, I'll get back to you on that. All right, we've talked about the women's team for quite a bit, but there were some other rugby things going on as well involving Canada, and we were very lucky to get this bit of news just before we recorded the podcast here on Monday, the seventh of November. Uh, Kingsley Jones has announced his thirty-two man squad for the autumn tests taking place in Amsterdam. Remember, they are playing the Netherlands and Namibia, both at the Amsterdam Stadium. And, uh, you know, they did announce a long list earlier in the week. However, it was a reduction of, I believe, only four names. So it went from 36 to the 32 that is in the squad. The four that excluded are Alex Russell, Deshaun Bowen, Dawson Fatorik, and Peter Nelson. 
Either way, we do have some interesting names in. Um, so Matthew Klimchuk, Owen Rattan has um, been included in this squad as well, having recently played in the America's Rugby Trophy Tournament. So this may be an opportunity for Rattan to get his first actual cap with Canada. So we'll see. Um, of course, this game will be played on, uh, I believe it's 8.30 a.m.? 9.30 it's nine thirty. No, it's the um, because the daylight savings have happened and yeah, the, uh, mobile clocks all over. But yeah, both games, both games will be played at nine thirty a.m. They're against Netherlands on November twelfth and against Namibia on November nineteenth. At the time of recording, broadcast details are to come. However, considering how uh, things have been going so far, it seems as though uh, the senior men's and women's games have both been on TSN this year. So we're hoping it'll be TSN again. Uh, but again, we will let you know when we do. So, uh, also making his way back into the men's senior squad, Andrew Coe is uh, back after taking a little break uh, over the summer and for the uh, rugby trophy competition. Yeah. Uh, Shane O'Leary is uh, still in the squad as well. And uh, Piers von Dadelsen is taking some time from Oxford University to play in the squad. And yeah, we got some good names. It's weird seeing names that were once attached to LA um, now listed as yeah, unattached. unattached but, yeah. uh, um, but just like a, like Ben Lesage, ben Lesage, although he's listed as Calgary Canucks. I'm, Calgary. It's, th- this is still very weird because Owen Rattan, who has been announced as signing for Toronto, is still listed as UBC. So <laughs> yeah. Um, Make it that way, you will. Yeah, and you got like yeah. Sears Duru says unattached. Um, uh, Lindsey Stevens though said we got Eastern Suburbs for Lindsey Stevens though, because Netherlands are currently ranked below Canada, but this is also the first time that they play. It may be, um, you know, similar to the uh, ART, and he goes with like a mix of senior as well as like new faces, yeah, as well. And you know, if you as long as you keep the bench loaded with, you know, senior or I should say reliable players. More than like, yeah, like, played. I, think, but, uh, I think I would go, yeah, I like kind of like that. I would kind of go with that route. I mean, like, I know these are test matches, yeah, no, that I know these are test matches, and I know that if they're gonna, it's gonna affect the world rankings depending on the results. And I know that that is important, but I think if you're like, if you're Canada now, I think like the focus is still like the future and developing, um, yeah. developing players and stuff. And I mean, um, you know, I mean, like, quite frankly, like, no matter no matter what we have been saying about Rugby Canada's men's team for the past, you know, couple of years here or whatever, um, they should beat the Netherlands. Like, it's you know, what I mean, yeah. like, it should be. Yeah, um, but, but that's that's kind of like what I'm saying is like because yeah. it's the Netherlands, because it's a lower ranked team. Maybe yeah, give us give I, the yeah. new guys a try. You like get them proper, and then Namibia, who's who is technically ranked lower than Canada. But only by one spot, and yeah. Namibia have also qualified same. for the, the World Cup. Like that is the game where you have like yeah more uh, more familiar faces. Uh, I mean, truthfully, I think. I mean, yeah, I think I would ultimately like to see. I would like to see like some of these. Like, I mean, how many guys are on this team? Thirty-two. Yeah, um, I don't really expect everybody to play over those two games, but I would like to see a handful of like. The botchers, the Klimchucks, um, you know, like kind of get into these games too. 
right? Yeah. Or like, you know, or guys like uh, Connor Young, fascinating, right? Considering New England signed him, Austra- he's from Australia, mm-hmm. um, Canadian yeah. eligible, though. Like, that's a guy, too, that I'm like, that'd be fascinating, you know, I think, to kind of see how he goes in a test match as well. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, I mean, and a lot, of, a lot of players like that. I guess a couple of the Pacific Pride guys, um, you know, even some of these seven guys like Mora, um, I think would be uh, would be fascinating to kind of see him on the wing um, for a t- yeah. for a full proper test match. And then, I mean, yeah, N- Namibia is obviously going to be a big game too. That's going to be an important one, and yeah, you know, that's a little bit of carryover from the uh, 2019 World Cup on that, um, just because it's the game that never happened. So hopefully, yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, it's it's going to happen yeah. now, and I mean, like these should be. I still think these are these should be some pretty entertaining games for the men's team. Yeah. Um, hopefully, you know, the, the sign of, uh, turning a new leaf for them and, you know, maybe ride a little bit of the wave of the excitement everybody has for the women's team right now. And, uh, put in a couple of uh, some back-to-back solid games here and, uh, you know, can, uh, start looking like, I mean, start kind of looking forward to the, to the future of this club too. And hopefully it'll be, uh, you know, give us reasons to be just as excited as we've been this entire podcast. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be definitely one that's worth uh, waking up for. Yeah. Uh, now, with all this uh, stuff of like, oh, some games in New Zealand, some games in Europe, we have some games have been happening in Asia because we have had the first round of the World 7 Series in Hong Kong. And, you know, Canada were in a pretty tough group. I mean, it seems as though because of all the quality of the teams, every group they're in is in a tough group. Um, featuring Argentina, Ireland, and Kenya. Uh, didn't start well. Uh, 36-0 loss to Argentina. Then a narrow 19-17 loss to Ireland before finally concluding the uh, pool stage with a 19-14 win over Kenya. And then in the Sunday round of fixtures, I, get, I say Sunday, it was more like the 3 a.m., on Saturday for uh, us on the East Coast. Uh, a 1917 win over the hosts, Hong Kong, and then a close 17-12 win over Great Britain. And in the ninth place playoff, now, uh, this seems really confusing when I say it on paper, but of all the teams they were facing for ninth, I did not expect it to be New Zealand. Yet, <laughs> here we are. And unfortunately, that was a 33-5 to loss. Uh, to the uh, Kiwis, so Canada finishing in a uh, you know tenth place. Um, obviously, would prefer to be uh, eighth or higher, which would then determine that they were in the top half of the table. But I mean, if New Zealand's ninth, finishing tenth isn't that bad, I gotta say. Um, uh, focus on the other um, Americans' teams playing: uh, Argentina, they finished fifth, and USA finished sixth. Uh, but this is just the first round of, I believe, 11 rounds for the men in the World 7 Series. And the next round coming up will be on Dubai on December the 2nd and 3rd, for us in Canada, at least. Now we're moving on to MLR news, and we're starting off, of course, with the Toronto Hours. The first announcement this week is that scrum half Cole Brown has re-signed for MLR 2023. He only had the opportunity to play in one game. That was against uh, New York at um, York Lions Stadium. Uh, Was able to get a try on debut, unfortunately picked up an injury. And as we know from the scrum half curse of 2022 
uh, with the Toronto Arrows. That was his only appearance of the season. So he's hoping that he that curse has been lifted. He's able to remain fit and hopefully he can be scoring more tries on uh, the games in MLR 2023. Now, Arrows fans, there was a big... It was technically a re-signing, but uh, this guy has been out of MLR for quite a few years. It is the return of the Ottoman Empire to Toronto after completing his studies at Cardiff Met University in Wales. Avery Ottoman has returned not only to the Toronto Arrows, but MLR as well. And this was just a, like, it, it feels weird to fe- to think that he last played in 2019, because 2019 feels like a yeah, lifetime it ago. It feels so long ago. Avery, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the podcast at some time to talk about your experience um, being at Cardiff Met and uh, to welcome you back to Toronto as well, because this was this was a great sign to hear. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's exciting. Exciting to have the guy that's faster than a bald man's haircut back. It's an all time <laughs> all time classic call from Dan Power there. Um, yeah, like I mean, obviously Oideman I think was one of the more exciting players that the Arrows had in 2019, and uh, yeah, like uh, the Arrows press release makes it sound like he hasn't played in like three years. Um, so a uh, very very interesting. I'm I'm happy he's back and stuff, and I guess uh, we'll see how he goes. Um, because I think like based on what he did in 2019, like this could be a national team player. Um, yeah, yeah. He brings back that form. Um, because he you know he led the he led the team in in try scoring. Um, during that I believe he was he was tied with Dan Moore for the top of the for the team lead. I think he was one off Dan Moore, so he was the second second highest. Uh, try scorer uh, for the hours in 2019. Okay, and um, so like, yeah, I think it's it's exciting to have him back. And you know, obviously, you know, it's a big name. It's a cool nickname. Um, he had a uh, you know Oideman Empire. It's a cool nickname and stuff. Obviously, pretty marketable player. He had some fun like post match interviews and stuff uh, during his uh, his year here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, kind of I think everyone kind of remembers that game against San Diego uh, where he had the two tries. Um, which was, uh, you know, obviously critical for the Arrows uh, playoff hopes at that time, too. Um, so, I mean, yeah, excited to have him back uh, and, uh, you know, look, looking forward to uh, to his his return to the blue and white. And, uh, yeah, on to more MLR 2023 news because uh, things yeah. are getting kind of wild. And I may have to retract things that I said last week. When, when you say kind of wild, it seems as though we've been stuck in the wild west of the uh... Yeah. news and stuff so uh it's been announced that um the dispersal and expansion draft will be held on the same day on november the 10th that's this uh thursday so either when this podcast comes out or shortly afterwards and it seems to be doing in five rounds uh the first two rounds will be dispersal the third round will be the expansion draft and the fourth and fifth round will be the continuation of dispersal now this information we've gotten from john hooley or um at hooley john on twitter and so for the dispersal draft is there 72 players from la um and austin so 38 from la and 34 from austin franchises will be allocated in the primary list for the dispersal draft these players have the right to opt out of the dispersal draft as the final list of players will be released to the existing MLR teams in Chicago on November 9th. However, if a player opts out of the dispersal draft, they cannot sign with an MLR team till the halfway point of the 2023 season. And we'll talk about this in a moment. Um, each existing franchise will get four picks, 
while Chicago will get 16 picks total. Teams who decide to pass in the first round or pass twice in consecutive rounds will be excluded from the rest of the dispersal draft. And that's just the dispersal draft. For the expansion draft, only Chicago will be allocated to select players from the expansion draft pool. It will occur in the third round consolidated format with Chicago picking 10 players out of the expansion pool. 55 players will be placed in the expansion player pool. Each existing MLR team will have to nominate five currently contracted MLR players, including a standard contract player at least, by the deadline of November 6th. No existing team will lose more than three players to Chicago, and no existing team will lose more than two players in the same position. Chicago will have a signing window between November 11th and the 1st of December, where they have to finalize the signings with expansion draftees. Any player not signed with Chicago after, after December 1st will be sent back to their previous team who nominated the player. And so there's... Uh, and uh, John has a uh, Excel basically explaining how the dispersal pick will go. And basically in... Every round of the dispersal draft, Chicago will have the first two picks, the final two picks, and then the central pick as well. Uh, Toronto has their draft uh, their draft picks being um, the seventh pick in round one, the tenth pick in round two, and then the seventh pick in round four, and the tenth pick in round five as well. So those are the picks. Uh, it's, it's interesting. And this is the thing, because it's behind closed doors, there may already be deals going on that we won't know about until uh, the 10th, although they'll probably come up on the MLR trade wire of uh, teams wanting to trade for, you know, player rights or international slots or things like that. Um, but in total, it means that Chicago will get a total of 30 picks yeah. from this draft. So basically, they could get their entire squad. Yeah, I mean, like, that's probably the purpose of this and stuff, right? Yeah. Fill up the roster. Um, I think a couple things I kind of think are interesting um, before we get into the probably bigger story surrounding this um, is, so, I mean, obviously, like, I mean, if you're an Austin or L.A. player, I guess you and you want to play, I guess you have to declare for the draft um, because, I don't know, unless you plan on signing halfway through the year. Um, so that might not, that kind of, stinks i guess um but either way uh the one thing i do find like kind of really interesting about this is for the expansion draft element with teams having to you know give up or uh you know you know make a couple players eligible here but you know to kind of have it end with like any player not signed with chicago after december 1st will be sent back to their previous team like so like for all these players that if they get picked by chicago they can just be like no and yeah. like go back um so that's kind of an interesting like wrinkle um i guess though like you know i i i said last week that i was like i really want the league to do something with the expansion draft um because it's like i think i was like i think this is like really cool it's going to be a really it's going to be an awesome marketing thing it could be an awesome market thing marketing thing could be like really cool because it's like no other league has really like had like a dispersal draft and stuff, um, right? Because teams are are folding or no longer in it. Um, I guess combining it with an expansion draft, it's something that no other team's done. Um, we went through a list of players that are on LA and Austin. We're like, there's a lot of exciting players on those teams. And, um, you know, I was like, this should be, would be a really cool thing to do. Um, and I guess 
I didn't take into consideration the players' feelings on this at all because um, through the the US, yeah. um, what is it? The USA RPA or US uh, the, U- the US Rugby Players rugby Association. Association USRPA. Um, so through that, they've uh, obviously the players in MLR have come up with a a couple of statements, um, which I think is incredibly noteworthy, just given how frequently players are kind of sharing that statement right now. Yeah, that includes like not just LA and Austin players, but players on throughout the league and like big players too, like guys that are on the Canadian and U.S. national team or like team captains in MLR. So. Yeah. Um, Obviously, players players uh, aren't too thrilled about that. Um, Stu, you want to get into uh, their statement a little bit? Yeah. So um, earlier on November the fourth, the USRPA um, put out this statement saying our MLR players express significant concerns where the league's proposed expansion and dispersal draft process will negatively affect player welfare. Um, including saying that MLR teams must nominate five currently contracted players, including uh, standard contract players as well. Um, the league had not informed any players of their intention to hold this draft. Any player can be placed onto the expansion draft by the team. A player who has very recently agreed a 2023 deal with a team or a player whose contract has ended after 22, but is still unilaterally designated by the league as alumni restricted, may be drafted by the Chicago team without any advance notice. And then it's likely that many of the players um, who are drafted are part-time associate contract players who receive hourly minimum wage and they hold jobs outside of MLR. And they will be required to move to Chicago for the same part-time hourly wages and then have to try and secure new secondary employment in the city and it just comes back to the thing that's been the crux of this entire issue there just hasn't been any communication between the league to the players never mind the fans and now they're being basically given six days to decide whether they wish to continue playing in the mlr for an unspecified team through the dispersal draft so uh from this statement uh, there has come a, a specific uh, set of three things that um, the US RPA wants to do. So it says, if the MLR does decide to hold the draft on November 10th, we would encourage them to consider the following solutions to mitigate potential player welfare concerns. One, a guarantee that previous housing and ancillary benefits will be honored for players picked in both drafts. Number two, a percentage of each player's salary uh, to be excluded from the 2023 salary cap, which includes the housing and and ancillary benefits. And number three, the development of all future policies affecting players through the collective bargaining process. Mm. So um, now this has been uh, pushed by uh, a lot of players, such as um, Luke Carty and Nick Savetta, although I will say Nick Savetta is... Um, on the board of the US RPA, uh, so I think he's like the chairman of it. So obviously, but I mean, like, in general, yeah. though, like especially, but yeah, a lot, a lot of players, a lot of um, yeah, supporters all- are agreeing that this does make sense. Um, journalists as well, and you know, it's you know hard to argue against it. It does seem that uh, it seems um, unreasonable to ask a player that's been playing essentially in their hometown to relocate 
to another city, find new employment. You know, a lot of players have family as well. Will they have to move as well? Will they be able to move as well? It's um, I guess definitely something um, to be considered. The first two points they made of like um, previous housing and ancillary benefits to be honored for the drafted players and a percentage of each drafted uh, player salary to be excluded from the salary cap. I think that's entirely reasonable. Um, for the MLR to enact to ensure that um, these players' uh, welfare standards can be met. The only issue I have, and this may just be because I don't know enough about the USRPA, is um, the collective bargaining for all future developments because um, the USRPA um, is, as the name suggests, the Players Association for USA rugby players. Mm -hmm. But when one of your teams in MLR is Canadian and is strictly focused on developing Canadian talent, they've only had one American player on their team, and that was literally due to um, you know, resources beyond their control. I think that it can be argued that the US RPA isn't the or possibly shouldn't be the deciding voice for um MLR players welfare and now that's not to say that they can't have a stake in it because I also know there's the um I Canadian th rugby players association as well so I think uh, for... and that's the thing is that um so I don't believe they've put out a statement yet and that's and we like we talked about it last week there's um, six players from I think, LA that are Canadian. Yeah, but, I think, but will their voices be yes um, acknowledged? I, I know, I know, it, I know. It's easy to say that, but then you also have what about the international players that uh, signed so, multi-year deals I, with LA? To me, are they allowed to be represented as well, or do yes. they need a separate body? No, I think I think what. It's like looking at the USRPA website. One of the things it says, like in the who we are thing, is it's like, um, like it says that we are currently seeking recognition from Major League Rugby to initiate similar relationships with the league. I think to me, what this seems like and what it would be like in other sports, that third point, um, in saying that they would like to create like a collective bargaining agreement. Because one, like I, I get what you're saying, and obviously they have the words United States in their organization. Um, one, like there's a lot of Canadian players, t um, reposting, tweet, retweeting, sharing the stories, um, on Instagram stuff. There's a lot of Canadian players that are like repeating this message. Um, so at the very least, they agree with it. Um, but two, I think to me, when I see that they want to develop like you know a collective bargaining agreement, that to me, I think that implies to me implies to me could be wrong right that it's like they want to create like what basically every other league in north america has being like the players associations like the nhlpa the mlbpa um nflpa like there's a lot of players yeah. associations and i think that's kind of where they're more going for and based on what a lot of what how those leagues work is you're in the association if you play one game Right. So I think from yeah. that, it's like, I think when they're saying they want to create a collective bargaining process, that co 
I'm guessing or I'm assuming that they're probably trying to look for something similar to what other leagues have as far as like in this players association that would represent all the players. And like, it looks like at the very least, whether regardless of where those players are from or where those players kind of are located, it looks like, I mean, you can just look at the likes, the retweets, all the Instagram shares and stuff. It seems like this is at the very least, which is probably a good thing for the players in the league is that the players are at least kind of showing like a united front on this situation, um, which is probably a good thing for the players. Not too many players that are coming out saying that they're super stoked about this draft. Um, that's going to happen. Yeah. So the players are kind of showing a uh, united front on this. Um, they're, the three the points that they want to make are the... Um, like you said, like one makes a lot of sense. You know, players that sign contracts get their contract that they agree to. That makes sense. Two, um, the percentage of players' salary be excluded from the salary cap um, makes sense. Hilariously ironic, but makes sense. Um, you know, given yeah. that this whole yeah, thing started. Yeah. Was- I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, so kind of ironic, but makes sense. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, I don't know, interesting to see how this whole situation ends up playing out. Um, I, w- I do wonder though, like, cause I, I genuinely, like, I don't know how much power this organization has, um, even with like USA rugby or even within, within the MLR, or within USA rugby or anything at all, how much power this organization actually has. I, I genuinely don't know, but it's kind of interesting to see that, you know, despite this league only being going into its sixth year, that it seems like there's at the very least, it seems like there's an appetite for the players to get something a little bit more in lines of like a really formal, like, I guess, a formal collective bargaining agreement and uh, players association within the league. So that's that that to me is probably the most interesting part. Um, the one thing, though, that I, like I am curious about, though, like because they're a lot of what their statement is saying is that like players don't want to be like just you know are told to be in like uprooting their lives on like three weeks notice or nobody knows where they're going to play or whatever um but the rules that um john Hooley posted seem to indicate that you they have the option of saying no um yeah to a certain extent anyways yeah Um, so there's you know, it, it, I, it, I think that just might come back to part of the thing where it's like we're getting, I think in this whole situation, we're just, we're getting a lot of he said, she said stuff. Um, yeah. Kind of and, and I think it doesn't help that this is and, behind I'm, closed doors as well. Yeah. So. And, and, and I'm not saying that like the players, like, like I'm just, it's like, I think like those points that seem to contra- contradict each other a little bit, Um, I think. You know the the player the players are I think probably within their right to try to set up some sort of way to represent themselves in the league, um, yeah. so I think that like that would ultimately be a good thing, um, and you know just because you know at least it, it just seems like they maybe they just didn't get enough of a say in how this process plays out in our yeah I think I think it um, does come back to the main issue of communication between the league and the players has been minimal at best well and... even at that like there's been no public like mlr statement like yeah about the u.s but again like i just don't know like are they just like i don't know what like because they're obviously like they're they're seeking they want to be recognized by the mlr 
right yeah. so that means they're not so maybe the mlr doesn't feel like they need to address it because it's not, yeah uh, I, I, I don't know it'll be interesting it'll be interesting to see what happens with this this whole this yeah whole well if and then if any player is getting drafted we hope that everything turns out for the best we uh hope that you're able to yeah. continue your rugby career if you see fit and we hope that uh you know stars align and things all work but i think we're going to end it there thank you so much uh for listening if you enjoyed listening to this episode of the podcast you can listen to more on spotify uh, Apple Podcasts and Anchor FM. If you like watching videos of the podcast as well as additional footage, you can do so on our YouTube channel at La Rouge Rugby. And we are available across social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Again, at La Rouge Rugby. Derek, where can the fine people find you? At um, Set the Jet across all social media platforms. And you can find me at Hardman, spelled H4RDMAN, again, across all social media platforms. Well, Derek, thank you very much for joining me. I know we'll both be looking forward to the bronze final, where we're hoping that uh, Canada can break that duck against uh, France in previous fixtures and uh, at least walk away with the bronze medals. And thank you all for joining us for another episode of the La Rouge Rugby podcast, talking about real Canadian rugby. We hope you can join us again next time.